You're listening to the Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hey everybody, you're listening to another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Rick Hadrava, and I just want to let you know how much I appreciate you tuning in to each and every podcast. If you're new, welcome, and be sure to check out our website, epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast, where you'll catch this episode, the show notes, and past episodes if you'd like to. We appreciate you doing that. And as always, if you like the show, be sure to give us a rating. Uh, We hear those things are important. You know, when I think back to the beginning of my podcast, I I remember thinking probably was sitting in a uh, drive-thru at today's uh, guest restaurant at Chick-fil-A. And I remember thinking, man, you know, they run this place so well. I'd love to have the owner of a Chick-fil-A on the podcast. And as we persist and, and we threw out our, our net towards towards guests for the show, I, I reached out to today's guest and was fortunate enough to have them say yes. And so I got really excited because I wanted to hear the story of this well-run machine with this great culture that, that we've all come to know. And, you know, if you're like my family, some of you, you know that Chick-fil-A is a staple uh, in the household. And so, you know, the interesting thing that I have to mention is as I got to research a little of today's guest, I realized that this was going to be a deeper conversation because Arthur Greeno, our guest today, is much more than just the owner of a couple Chick- Chick-fil-A restaurants. So I, I think it's an inspirational story. And to give you a little background, not only was Arthur the 2019 Chick-fil-A Guardian of the Brand recipient. Uh, he's been the Tur- Tulsa, Tulsa World 2015 Man of Distinction Award winner. He's got a best-selling book that's been on Amazon. He's even been in the Guinness Book of World Records for his tea and lemonade, and I'm sure we'll learn a little bit more about that. Uh, he's won the Little Lighthouse Shining Light Award and much, much more. So without further delay, let's welcome Arthur Greeno to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. Arthur, thanks so much for joining us today. It is my pleasure to be here. Well, Arthur, as we like to um, share with our audience, let, let's start at the beginning. How, how did you get to this point in your entrepreneurial journey? Well, um, and, and I'm, I'm assuming you're specifically talking about how did I get in with Chick-fil-A to where I'm at now, right? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so it, it wasn't a lot of people, I get this question a lot and a lot of people ask me questions like, um, you know, have I always been an entrepreneur? Have I, you know, did I always dream of owning my own business? And the answer is absolutely not. Um, I mean, it's a lot of work. And if you look at it from the outside, it's like, you know, why would I do that? You know, but for me, for me, it was simply, I was in college and I needed a job. That, that was that was the, the the simplicity of it, and so for me, I was in college. I was going to Oral Roberts University, and while I was I was working at Chick Fil A, it was just it was just a job. Um, I recently changed my major to be an art major, and 
And so I had no, I mean, I, I, I was far away from owning a business that you could ever be. And uh, some, some things happened in my life. Uh, my, my younger sister, she, she was 18 uh, at the time. She just had her second child and uh, she was in a car wreck. And I had worked for Chick-fil-A for about a year at this point. And, and we went down to her, to, to Dallas where the car wreck was. And there was, and we, we had a situation where, um, you know, my family, my family was, I did not come from a wealthy family, um, or even a, um, a mid-range family, to be honest. And we struggled a lot as I, as I was growing up and we, I was the only person in my, in my family that had a credit card. And I remember, you know, I was having a situation where I, you know, we had the funeral to pay for and I used my credit card while I was in college to pay for her funeral. At the time, Chick-fil-A was just one of many jobs that I had. Uh, I had four different jobs and they were all aligned for different expenses that I had. And when I came back, the, the Chick-fil-A owner said, you know, what? you you are doing a lot of things and you really need a break. And so they said, why don't you we're going to send you to a grand opening. And this was really exciting for me because when they sent me to the grand opening, you know, they were going to pay my flight. They were going to pay for my food. You know, and I'm a college student, you know, so I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to eat as much as I can on somebody else's bill. Right. Uh, so so I went and um, I went to this grand opening. And of all things, they put me in Doodles the Rooster, uh, uh, th- this costume. It was a mascot. And this was the olden days, guys. So, uh, And, and the, the rooster included everything, including pantyhose. And so I, I'm sitting here in, in the Doodles the Rooster outfit. But as I'm looking through the beak, oddly enough, um, I'm watching Chick-fil-A and how they cared about the operators, how they cared about the team members, how they, they went above and beyond. They didn't just open a store. They would have a grand opening. And at their grand opening, they would have, they would invest in the team and they would invest in, you know, having a family night where um, they could meet the, the team's family. I was looking at this going, I want to be a part of this. And so this is what I wanted to do. And so um, by the time I came back from that trip, um, I, at that point said, you know what? I want to own a Chick-fil-A. I had no clue what was involved in owning Chick-fil-A. And so at that point, I did the only thing that I knew to do. I started asking questions and just, you know, I would meet with, and we had two other stores in the Tulsa market at the time. I went and visited with those owners. How did you become an operator? Why did you become an operator? I would ask all those questions. Then I would have people that would uh, um, come in from Oklahoma City um, for different reasons um, that were owner operators. I would sit down with them and ask them about that. And that's really what inspired my journey to be a, a Chick-fil-A owner-operator. Uh, that's that's so, fascinating. So just out of curiosity, Arthur, what, what were some of the other jobs that you were doing? You, you said you had four, four different jobs while you were in college. Yeah. Um, um, believe it or not, um, I, at the same time, I was also I was working as an attendant at Texaco. Uh, for some of you guys, may not, it's a gas station years and years <laughs> ago. Um, and so, um, so what I did was I manipulated my schedule where I would work four 10-hour days at Chick-fil-A. Um, then on the other three days, I, w- I would work at other jobs. So I would work at Texaco as a gas station attendant. Um, I would work at, um, uh, there was a, a big church that hosted themselves at Oral Roberts University. And on Sunday mornings, they would 
uh, they would need people to be on hand in this big facility to take care of all the glorious things like, you know, when a kid throws up on the carpet, you know, all those fun things, you know, they, they would call me on the walkie talkie and I'd run down there and clean up the mess or, or whatever we needed to do. And, uh, and then on top of that, um, uh, I would work for Sodexo Marriott. They would, anytime there was conferences or, uh, concerts or stuff, uh, I would, I would work in their concessions and I would go around and basically hawk popcorn, um, at Sesame Street Live. And, um, and so, um, and of course, any other odd jobs that would pop up that I could fit into my schedule. I mean, I actually gave plasma on a regular basis. That was part of my studying plan that, that I would go and give plasma. Now, if you give plasma nowadays, it's a lot simpler, but at that time it was a four hour deal. So I would go there and that would be my designated study time. And so, and, and I didn't do real well in school. I barely scraped by. So I really had to read and concentrate. So, so I would go there and have to really read the things to focus on, um, make sure that I understood what was going on. Um, so especially the boring things and the historical stuff was kind of boring to me at the time. So, um, so that, that's the different jobs I had. So, so work ethic was never an issue for you. And it sounds like that was just purely out of necessity um, and, and survival in, in a college life. So you go on and at what point did you take your first store and, and how did you make that happen? Yeah. So, uh, so I applied with Chick-fil-A and, uh, and so, and this is a question that I always get. People want to know how hard is it to get hired with Chick-fil-A? Well, again, this was back 30 years ago. Uh, so and it hasn't changed a whole lot. Chick-fil-A actually gets about 20,000 applications a year to fill about 60 spots currently. And so they only have about 60 new spots a year. And, uh, and so it was tough. And they, they, they interviewed everybody. They interviewed my mom. They interviewed my family, my friends. They asked me for blood type. I mean, it was, um, they wanted it all. And for good reason. If they're going to give you a Chick-fil-A restaurant that's going to do on average five million, seven million, ten million in some situations, you know, why would they give this to someone who can't manage their own personal bank account? And and so they they would investigate all those things really deep. It, it was a long, slow process. And so um, so I, I applied for a store, and they said we have a store for you, and that is um, it's called Eastland Mall. And now, Rick, you were from this area. Do you remember Eastland Mall? I remember it. Yes. Wasn't, so, uh, the, wasn't the one I went to most of the time. Yeah. I, it wasn't the one that anyone went to most of the time. That's <laughs> one of the problems, you know? Uh, so, so this store was literally second from last in the chain. It was a small little mall that um, um, here on the east side of Tulsa, they built it out expecting for Tulsa to, um, to grow east and it stopped. It just totally stopped. And so, so when I got in there, I had, uh, uh, I mean, they offered me that store and, and I wasn't real happy. I'll be honest. I was like, man, that's like the worst store, you know, why in the world? But I remember saying, you know what, this is my opportunity to take this and show them what I got. And so to be honest, I didn't really know what I had, but that was, that's what I told them. I said, you know, just, just give me that store. And, and inside I'm thinking you can't do any worse. You know, the store is in pretty bad shape. So I, I jumped in there, started cleaning it up. Um, kind of got everything situated. We did a 38% sales increase the first year that I was there. And, um, and, and so that was really where I was at. And so uh, I was only making, uh, I 
think when I first walked in there paying the operator $16,000, I might've gotten a raise to 20,000. And, and it was, it was kind of interesting because, um, uh, it was, it was hard making ends meet, to be honest, just because I was, I wasn't earning very much. Right. And you were putting in a so, ton of hours, I got to imagine. Oh yeah. Now I was tw- again, I was 22 years old, so I had plenty of time, you know? So I, I mean, I was easily putting in time. In fact, there were times that, that while I was there, uh, the, the problem with that, one of the problems with that mall is it had a big canvas roof. And so it, it looked like a tent. And so anytime it would snow or anything else, rain, no one would come there because it just, it was just horrible. And, uh, and so I remember one time, of course, we'd never do this nowadays, but I was sitting there doing my payroll by hand, um, sitting on a, a stool on the front of my store with my feet propped up on the counter because there was no one there. And, and, and I would, if somebody would come, I would put everything away, wash my hands, you know, um, serve them, go in the back and cook it, bring out, I mean, it, it was, it was a whole different dynamic. Um, so it was, it, it was interesting. So, so, so fast forward, uh, to today. So, uh, if I understand right, you, ha- you actually have two franchises today, two stores. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, and what is the difference today as you look back at, at the mall and, and that first store versus the two stores that you have today? Yeah, there's a lot. One is something we call a computer. Uh, we didn't have a computer <laughs> back in the day. And, um, and, uh, and so a, a lot has changed, but, um, and, and people are thinking cooking chicken and computer, why does that matter? Well, if you ever had, had to write payroll in triplicate for people, and balance your budget every day um, for a month in triplicate, you appreciate computers. Uh, so, um, so a lot has changed, but my volume is, my volume has changed dramatically. I literally, uh, when, when I was at that store, there were days, there, there were months we'd only do $20,000 in sales. And uh, there were, it was just, it was, it was a low volume store. So nowadays, uh, at, um, at one of the stores I'm at, we'll easily do $20,000 a day. Wow. So, um, it's, it's, it's changing entirely. And, and even with that back in the day, a lot of people didn't know what Chick-fil-A was. So our primary way to get people to know about Chick-fil-A is literally give them a piece of chicken. Um, you know, and we, so we'd be out there sampling in the old days, you guys probably saw that we'd be out there sampling. That was our number one way of, of getting people to know us. And it was, um, it was something that, um, I mean, people, we, we, we said, would you, would you like to a sample of a Chick-fil-A? And they were like, now what's this, what's a chicken fill? This is what <laughs> this is chicken, you know? I mean, it was, I mean, I mean, it was, it was a whole different dynamic. In fact, my second store, the way it works with Chick-fil-A is if you're moving a location, kind of got to give back one location and then they give you the other one. So when I moved up the ladder a little bit and I went to a store called Promenade, um, at the Promenade Mall, um, things I was in a little bit better position, not a whole lot. But while I was there, I got married. My wife was helping me work the counter one day, and a lady came up and she said, um, "I want a fish sandwich." And and of course, you know we don't serve fish. And my wife said, "Ma'am, I'm sorry, but we we don't have you know fish." She goes, "Yes, you do." She said, "No, no, we 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 don't serve fish." And she said, "Yes, you do." And she said, "Ma'am, we never serve fish." She said, well, I was here last week and I got a fish sandwich and I want the same thing. So, so by golly, my wife got her the same thing. 
So, um, <laughs> um, so uh, you know. So you I'm, had some yeah. you had you had some challenges. So th- this begs a question in your mind, from your perspective, because Chick Fil A is huge today. Like I said, it's a staple at my house. And I got to be honest with you, it wouldn't have been 20 years ago. It wouldn't have been 15 years ago. What changed? Can you pinpoint the moment uh, from your perspective when that all changed for Chick-fil-A? Well, let me go back a little bit. Um, a few years ago, um, when they opened my freestanding restaurant in 2002, and, um, and when they opened my freestanding restaurant, I was the only, that was the only freestanding Chick-fil-A restaurant in this area. Um, we, we had a couple of mall stores at the time, but no one, I mean, you know, no one knew about it. And so, uh, but after we had been open for about, um, for about five or six or seven years, uh, and, and, and by that time, Chick-fil-A, the freestanding stores were popping up all over the country. You know, Chick-fil-A is making good decisions on where they are, how they run, things of that nature. And so all of a sudden, it just, it's like a switch. All of a sudden, people were like, it, it became almost cultish, you know, where people were like, oh, my gosh, Chick-fil-A, I love Chick-fil-A. Well, now they have easier access to get it. And Chick-fil-A incorporated prior to that for years before that, they were actually planting seeds out there of, you know, they're saying we want to have our stores um, where we can meet the desires of people. One of the complaints was we don't know about Chick-fil-A. So like a lot of college campuses. Uh, I think around 700 or 800. I'm, pro- I'm probably way off my numbers, but um, the co- a lot of the colleges started bringing Chick-fil-A as a branded concept onto their college campuses. And so um, so I think there was a lot of things that were done right. But as Chick-fil-A was getting out there, people started realizing, you know, it's almost like as they're turning around, they're seeing more and more Chick-fil-A's at the airport, Chick-fil-A's at, uh, at college campuses. So those who had never had a Chick-fil-A are now getting to taste a Chick-fil-A. And, and we know that for Chick, in our in our realm, the best way to market your product is to put it in their mouth, to make sure that they're trying the Chick Fil A sandwich. Because once you try it, if you have a great product, once you, they try the product, they're going to know your product's great, and now hopefully you got them sold. A wonderful concept, and and it's worked fabulous. Um, but what I what I thought of as I was listening to you say this is it really was location. Um, but then I think of when I think of Chick-fil-A, I think of culture and efficiency, right? And I mean, there's different, we'll just call them fast food restaurants that you go to and those employees don't even look happy to be there. And the service sometimes is off. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. But when almost every time you visit a Chick-fil-A, you're going to get a smiling face, you're going to get a conversation and the efficiency that you guys have put together you know, so so if you go back again, I go back to your early days, right, where your feet are propped up on the counter, nobody's coming around. You know, did how did all this come together for you guys? You know, was was it always baked in from a cultural perspective, um, or was there a moment where that all started to come together? Well, let's we probably need to go back to the founder of Chick Fil A, Truett Happy, and he he was very when he opened his first restaurant. He was, uh, it was a 24 hour a day operation uh, right there in Hayville, Georgia. And a lot of people would, I mean, he got to know his clients. He got to know his customers. He got to know them on a regular basis. And so, and he had a, a just a, a passion 
about customer service, treating people right, doing the right thing. And so um, even through my career with Chick-fil-A, even back in the day, they were still focused on how are we treating the guests? You know, there's a story that I heard about Truett Cathy once that, um, that he was in a boardroom with a bunch of, with a bunch of people and they were looking at taking a bunch of money and expanding. And they're like, Hey, we need it. We need to you know, build more stores. We need to build more stores. We need to build more stores. And, and they were basically arguing back and forth on the table. And finally he slammed his hand on the table and said, let's not focus on being bigger. Let's focus on being better. And the bigger will come. And so, so that's kind of what Chick-fil-A did. You know, even when Chick-fil-A started really focusing on um, like customer service, I remember at one point, Dan Cathy had told us um, he had sat us all down as, as operators, as, as a, a group, you know, 2,500 operators plus spouses. And we have an annual seminar every year. And, and he was saying, we're going to, um, we're going to take this customer service level to a higher level. And I mean, he actually talked about, um, you know, uh, just, I mean, like, like five-star dining stuff. Now, some of that didn't work. I mean, some of it logistically just could not work. Um, but we we're able to take out the pieces of it and make it work. You know, a lot of people ask, how do you get your employees to say my pleasure? And uh, that's the most common thing, right? So Tura Cathy comes to a seminar and says, I was just at the Ritz-Carlton and, and they said to me, my pleasure. And he said, what if our team members would say, every time a guest would say thank you, we would say my pleasure. And I was like, oh, what a great concept. So I write it down, you know, and then I went back to my store and I told my crew, I said, guys, we're going to start saying my pleasure. And you would have thought that I skinned the cat right in front of them because they were just looking going, you got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> I was like, right. no, when, when a guest says thank you, we're going to say my pleasure. And that lasted about, um, I don't know, a month, you know, and then it, and, and it was one of those, it was a constant fight, you know, it went away. The next seminar, we get back to seminar. True, Kathy gets up there. If a customer says thank you, I want you to say my pleasure. So I go back to my store and said, okay, guys, you know, we're going to start saying my pleasure. So we try it again. It lasts a little bit longer. You know, then it kind of fades. I go back to our annual seminar. True, it's up there again. If a customer says thank you, what do we say? By this time, we kind of know, you know, we're, we're going to say my pleasure. So, so the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And I was like, I got to figure out a different plan for this to work. So I, I came up with this idea. So I went back to my team and said, okay, guys, I have this new incentive plan. You either say my pleasure when, they, um, when a customer says thank you, or you'll get promoted to customer status. And, and now, what, is that, what does that mean, customer status? So if you're going to be promoted to customer status from an employee, that means basically you're going to get fired. Uh, gotcha. So um, it, it's just a very um, obnoxious way to say it. So, so it's basically, guys, you have to do this. So your new incentive plan is do your job or get fired. And I, and I, don't, I don't mean that mean. I don't mean that disrespectful, but it's one of those that these are the expectations that Chick-fil-A puts on there. This is, this is what we expect. If you can't do it, then you know, there's lots of other places that you can work that they're not going to have those requirements. So, you know, it's time to move on. And so uh, it, and, and that's the thing is a lot of people ask, Arthur, you share a lot of secrets about Chick-fil-A. And I tell people the truth is no one wants to do it. It is hard work. It is hard to address an employee to say, hey, you know, you're really supposed to be saying my pleasure. I need you to say my pleasure or you can't work here. Um, there's a lot of other fights that, that as employers we can be having. Like, 
let's get you to work on time or things like that. <laughs> right. So, uh, so, uh, so that was, so when Chick-fil-A really started pushing that, and the thing is that if you have your team members and they're saying my pleasure, you can't say my pleasure on a regular basis and be irritated. I mean, there's just no great way to say it's my pleasure to serve you while, you know, um, and yet have a bad attitude. So, so I think a lot of that goes hand in hand. When we have the attitude of my pleasure, other things are going to fall in line with it. Um, and so, but of course, we're also constantly looking for opportunities, you know. And so, like yesterday, literally yesterday, we had a situation happen that um, I was talking to five of my leaders about. We have we have daily meetings, and and one of my leaders got a phone call from a customer who they placed a DoorDash order. Well, what happened was um, the DoorDasher apparently put the drink and the bag all together on their seat or something, and the, the drink spilled all over their bag and got um, uh, and got all their fries and everything wet. And so they called us and they said, hey, we just want to, you know, um, we're calling you guys because this happened. And, and the truth is, once it goes out the door, we have no control over it. And so, you know, we can't do anything about it. So we explained that and she said, okay, well, I'll call DoorDash. I was just going to call you guys. And, and they said, well, wait a minute, let me get your address. And, and they got their address and they took it upon themselves to deliver that person's food out to cover the screw up that DoorDash did. And, and uh, I mean, that's just off the charts, right? Completely unexpected. And it's part of what makes your culture at Chick-fil-A a, a truly unique experience. Right. Like it's hard to, to have a bad experience, even when maybe the order's wrong or something like this happens, uh, because it just seems to be something. That's what's impressive to me, Arthur, is you guys are really focused on that on that customer experience. And, um, you know, so to your point, you know, what your 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 front facing folks are doing is really important. They always have smiles. They're always like I said, they're conversational. And my hat goes off to you guys uh, for doing that. Listen, l- let me ask. I want to. I want to go a couple different directions because I want to get into some of the other things that you've done as an entrepreneur. But here's my question to you: As you think back over the last thirty years, um, is there anything that you would have done differently, knowing what you know now, starting out with Chick Fil A? Uh, what would I do differently? Uh, you know, that's, um, that's a really hard question to answer because I think that the difficulty is every step along the way with Chick-fil-A, you know, every time you run into a roadblock, it's an opportunity to learn from it. And, and it, when I was at the low volume Chick-fil-A, I learned how to control costs, you know, because I didn't have very much. So I learned. Um, so even now in my market, when I'm looking at food costs and wages and things of that nature, I can control it better than some of the other guys who step in because maybe they, they came in at a high volume. And so when I look at it, would I, would I like things to be a lot easier? And, and, and make, like if I made a better decision, would I have liked it to be a lot easier? I would, but I wouldn't have the wisdom and the knowledge that I have now. And so sure. that's where the hard part is. I kind of want to say, you know what? I would do it exactly the same. However, 
No, I probably wouldn't. If I was dying, <laughs> I would bite my tongue. You know, um, I would bite my tongue or not, maybe, maybe not respond this way. Um, you know, Arthur uh, um, at 52 years old is a lot different than, than Arthur was at 22 years old. I, I mean, I actually, I actually said to an employee one time, uh, I can't believe I said this. My wife teases me about it all the time. I, I came home and said, honey, um, I think I said something wrong. And she was, well, what'd you, what happened? And I said, well, there's this girl that worked for me. And, and when she wears makeup, she, she's beautiful. But, but when she doesn't wear makeup, honey, she's not beautiful. And, and she looks unkept. And, um, and she was, what did you say? And I said, well, I said to her that, you know, sometimes the barn just needs to be painted. And she said, you did not say that out loud. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, that, that's, it's the facts, right? She was, oh, my gosh. So she won't be there tomorrow. And she was right. She, she never showed up again. Um, you know, and, and I didn't mean it like it sounded. Um, and, um, but it's one of those that, yeah, would, would I be a little bit more mature and think through some things? Um, but um, I, I would. Um, I would be a little bit more loving on someone, things like that. But unfortunately, um, I probably wouldn't remember that, that story, you know, 25 years later, if that story didn't happen. It, that's where wisdom comes from. And around here, we like to call that a faceplant moment, right? It's one, it's one that yeah. you'd like to have back, but you probably learned a ton uh, and carried that forward. And so I, I really appreciate you sharing that. So let's let's get into... A couple other things I want to touch on because here you've got two really successful stores. You, you've got teams. You're, you're doing well. You've got, I believe, you've got five children. So you're also raising them. You do a lot in the community. You're writing books and, and all these other things. And the thing that came to my mind as I looked at all the things that you're doing is why, right? Like you've got success. So. And, and specifically, this book that you have called Breaking Conformity, the name alone and, and the picture on the book intrigued me because I, I love that concept. Tell me a little bit about how that came to be. Well, that, that book kind of that book came to be because uh, it was really just me and a, a friend of mine that were together. And we're talking about all the myths that are out there, you know, myths of owning business, you know. Like you hear the phrase, um, you know, fake it till you make it. Well, a lot of times you, you hear you hear things like that, but but the truth is is that that's contextual. It's something that you know, yeah, it makes sense, but you really can't fake it till you make it because if you fake it too long, you're not going to make it. That's just the rules, you know. Um, mm. I mean, that's just how it works. Or um, um, or Failing is not an option. Oh, we hear that all the time. You know, people will throw it. Oh, well, failure is not an option. Failure is always an option. There's a lot of people that chose that option, you know, um, especially in the climate that we're in right now. Now, some of them, they didn't choose it. Failure is the easiest option, to be honest. And a lot of people do choose that. But um, but we wrote that because we, we were hearing a lot of those things. Saying, hey, let's put some of those to, um, to bed or let, let's put those in a context that people can look at those and understand, you know, failure is an option, but um, what are you going to do about it? You know, don't just throw around um, uh, cute words or phrases. Uh, don't just throw it around. And so, but the book came from, uh, the book came from 
for me, I get a lot of people that reach out to me and, and say, Hey, can I have some of your time? Can I, um, I'm, 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 I'm writing a book or I'm, I'm starting a business or I'm, I'm dealing with this or, or whatever. And, and they want some advice. So for me, the writing the book was an, a, a, a way that I could kind of share some of what I've learned in an easier format because not everyone's going to feel comfortable, you know, reaching out to me. Even if I give my name and phone number, a lot of them may not reach out to me uh, for whatever reason. And unfortunately, a lot of it is they will make up stories in their head about Arthur doesn't have time for me, Arthur's too busy. Uh, you know, they'll they'll make up stuff like that all day long. So, 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 so I'm interested. Is that a is that a myth, Arthur? The business I've always found that if you know what's the what's the cliche? If you want something done, give it to a busy person, right? Yeah. Like, well, you'll you'll yeah. always find time. Yeah, that, exactly. I mean, that, so I I started write, um, doing writing, and so I wrote uh, the first book I wrote was called Dysfunctional Inspiration, and really that was kind of my my um, a story of me and where I came from and, and how I grew up and even how I got in with my first store and a lot more details even than we've already you know discussed already um, with Chick Fil A. But I really wrote that for my team, you know, because my team at Chick-fil-A, what a lot of my employees don't realize is I went to Union High School. You know, Union High School is right up the street from my restaurant. And, and I went to Union High School. By the time I got to 10th grade, I had been to nine different schools. My family moved around because of the dynamics of my family. And, and so we, we moved from place to place. Mom would lose her job and we'd relocate. And, and um, by the time I landed at Union, I was in 10th grade. And in 10th grade, I was diagnosed with scoliosis, and I got put in a back brace called a Milwaukee brace that went from my chin down to my, my pelvis. And, oh, I was very popular. I mean, everybody knew me because I was a robot guy. Yeah. And, uh, and so um, none of my team knew that. None of my team knew that I grew up um, two miles away from where my restaurant is. You know, that, that the house that we had, I, we didn't have a lawnmower. And so um, I would actually be out there with a sickle sometimes cutting or I'll borrow my neighbor's uh, mowers so that we could do it because we, my mom would choose to not to spend her money on alcohol rather than on, um, you know, like lawnmowers. Uh, and so that was just how I grew up. So I wrote that book and I give a copy of that book to every employee that starts with me. And, and they, you know, I don't push them to read them. I'm just like, Hey, do you want to know more about me? You want to know more about what we do? Here's, here's a little bit about me. But I found that writing the books, doing podcasts, other things is a way for me to reach out and say, look, guys, all of us are going to have some kind of dynamic in our lives that make it tough, you know, but we get the choice of where we take it. And so, and, and I'm not the only person out there that had to struggle when they were younger. Um, I'm not going to be the last person that's going to have to struggle. Um, but yet um, a lot of people do. And, you know, it, it's just, it's just my way of saying, Hey, you can get through this. And if you want some advice, call me. I've, I've learned at an early age when I would ask all the other owners, um, you know, well, how do I get into Chick-fil-A? I would ask them those questions and they would, you know, they would kind of give me some advice on it. And that's how I, that's really how I learned most of what I've learned. Um, I remember reaching out, I was getting sued and, um, you know, believe it or not, yes, I'm at Chick-fil-A, I, I was getting sued. Um, but what I'm getting sued for is we have these parking stops, or we did, we had these parking stops outside and people would trip on the parking stops and uh and the parking stops are all fluorescent orange you know that we have proper lighting on them they weren't covered in debris i mean every you know i have 
cameras on, everything's fine. The real issue was the, the people were not picking up their feet. And so they were tripping on these. And, and, and so I remember the first time when I was getting sued, I was a wreck. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You know, and so I reached out to some of my mentors and they said, oh, you finally arrived. <laughs> I, was like, what? I was like, what do you mean you finally arrived? He goes, oh, you're getting sued. And I was like, yes. I was like, shouldn't I be nervous about this? He goes, you have insurance, right? And he's like, no. And he goes, here's the process that's going to happen. Don't worry about it. You know, now over the years, um, you know, I've been doing this a long time. You know, there's, um, you know, things happen. I mean, sometimes it's legitimate things. Sometimes it's, um, uh, when I say legitimate, like uh, uh, most of the times I'm getting sued, it's generally for like, like an accident. Like I was one time being sued because a, a kid pushed another kid in our playground they were my kids, you know, there were other, other kids. And, um, and so they just didn't know who to sue. So they sued me, you know, and of course nothing happened with it, but, um, but, you know, but it was one of those, when you get that, when you get that summons for court, it makes your heart stop, you know, okay, what's going on here. And, and so, but, um, but I learned by asking, you know, I have no problem reaching out to those who are smarter than me uh, and who know what's going on and say, Hey, I need advice. I'm stuck here. And it's not a sign of weakness. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not a, I'm not being a man. It means that I don't know. So can right. you help me figure this out? Well, so. it's, it's the importance. And I love that things happen uh, is the best statement in the world, but ultimately it's how we respond. But to your point, you know, one of the things we do is we have a community of entrepreneurs, small business owners that we do all sorts of things with. And one of the biggest things is just getting them to connect with other entrepreneurs, like you said. So you so you can kind of share your experience and have somebody say, hey, welcome to the club. Right. Like that's here, here's how we handle that. And it, just being resourceful that way. I love that. So the thing that comes to my mind, Arthur, I'm thinking back about what you shared today and your years at Chick-fil-A. If if you were giving advice to a young college student today that was thinking about the entrepreneurial journey, is there is there one thing that you would try to relay to them uh, as they started that journey? Um the one thing that I would I would really um, push them for is um, is so and this some of this is just about my personality is that um, my wife and I are total opposites. Um, she is the one that that likes to color. She's an analyzer. She likes to color code everything. She likes to make sure everything is right. And so, but if it was up to her, she would never start a project until everything is right. And, uh, and so for me, it's one of those, sometimes as entrepreneurs, we just need to get out there and get it done. And so if you're not sure, go get it. Um, you know how the, uh, how we have those efficient drive throughs at Chick-fil-A? Yes. Uh, well, years ago, me and me and some other owners, I, I'm on the innovation team with the corporate office and we're all kind of talking about the drive throughs and, and there was one guy that was doing something and, and. He was doing it on necessity because his, he said, my store footprint is smaller than every other store, and I can't do the volume that they are. I don't have enough seats in my dining room. Um, I, I just, I don't have it. So I got to figure out how to make my drive-thru work. And so, so he started this idea of, he said, well, the bottleneck for the drive-thru is always at the window. So what if we had someone out there and they took their order ahead of time? And it started with post-it notes. So they would take their order 
And so somebody would stand up the line. And so those who knew what the order was, they would say, hey, I need a number one with um, uh, extra pickle and a, and a medium Coke. And they'd write it and they'd put the post-it note on the windshield. And when the car would um, drive up, you know, 20 feet to the order taker, um, uh, where the order taker window was, somebody or um, the box is, they would grab the, uh, they would grab the post-it note and they would read it and they would translate all the chicken scramble. Uh, and they would say, um, hey, this person needs a Chick-fil-A, no pickle with a medium duck pepper. And so they started eliminating a lot of those problematic um, uh, situations in our drive to make things faster. And then it morphed from there to walkie-talkies, to headphones, to um, to where now we finally, in fact, we did iPads years ago. Well, now we have a, a better version of iPads and Chick-fil-A is actually rolling out actually portable registers now, you know, where we can sw- swipe the cards and, and do all those kinds of things. But it all happened because someone saw a problem and, and it looked ugly. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I jumped in, I was doing it too. And we had, we, I was buying packages and packages of note cards and, and post-it notes and, and we're sticking it all over the cars and, um, and trying to figure out how to make this work. So where now we have where Chick-fil-A realized, hey, let's invest more into our drive-throughs so that we can have this efficiency. Um, and even, even this week right now with the weather changing constantly, we're constantly, okay, well, I need hand warmers. I need um, new jackets. I need, um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm literally building like a little guard shed um, for my area to put a little heater in there. So if employees are outside and they're a little bit chilly, but yet still busy, they can kind of step into there and warm up a little bit. So, um, but, but my encouragement is if you have an idea, move forward, just keep moving. Um, and, and as you move forward, things will become more and more clear. I kind of have a, I call it the rule of threes. If you try the first time, it's probably going to look pretty messy. You try, you know, stop and make some adjustments, try it again. Um, and then they'll probably clean up a little bit. And then by the time you get to the third time, you kind of know the direction you're going. It may take three or four more times, but most of the time, like for us at Chick-fil-A, it's like, hey, guys, it'll be about the third time we try it that we'll probably get it mostly right. And so. That's- well, I, I appreciate that. That That is a really good story. And now I know, you know, now you've got the double drive through. So you guys just continue to push and, and, and find ways to do things. Um, and we really appreciate that as, as your customers, we really appreciate that. Well, listen, we, this has been great. Um, we're, we're actually, uh, coming to the end of the show and I know you do blogs, you've got information about your books. There's some videos out there. If people want to learn more about you, Arthur, and some of the things that you do, how, how do they get, how do they reach out to you? How do they get in contact with you? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm available on most of the social media channels. Um, I'm just Arthur Greeno. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. And, uh, um, but also I have a website, ArthurGreeno.com. And if you go there, um, when I do blogs lately with, with COVID, I've kind of cut back from the blogs just because um, my store needed my focus um, in the store a little bit more as we're, I'm constantly evolving. Uh, and so, uh, so if you go to my website, you can kind of, um, that's a way to connect with me. Um, you're welcome to ask me questions. Um, I'm here to serve. My mantra is teach, inspire, and serve. That, that's what Arthur's focus is, is, is hopefully, you know, I can help either teach you, inspire you, um, or serve you in some capacity. So if there's anything that I can do um, to help you with where you're at and answer a question, 
please don't hesitate to reach out. Well, Arthur, I think you've done a little bit of each today and we really appreciate you. And if you'll just hang out for a second, um, we'll wrap up here. Guys, you've been listening to another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. Remember, you can go to our website at epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast for this show, the, the show notes, and any other information that might be helpful to you. We've got other podcasts and resources. Again, that's epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. And be sure to send me an email. Let me know what you think. What questions do you have? You can reach me at rick at epicsbiz.com. Until next time, remember, we're only getting started. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com slash formula. And remember, we're only getting started.